Amen. Beloved of the living God, we call your attention this morning to the book of Ephesians, and we'll be lifting up the first uh, 14 verses of that chapter, the first chapter of Ephesians. You can see it on the screen behind me. If you have your Bible or your devices, please welcome you to turn there and follow along as we hear the inspired, authoritative word of God. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. With, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth, verses 11 through 14. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, was sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Thus far, the reading of God's word, and to be honest with you, brothers and sisters, that is right there enough to shout about. I can just sit down right now. That's enough to shout about. That's enough to shout about. Thank God for his word. Thank God for this marvelous revelation. In Kevin Young's poem, Eulogy, he writes, to allow silence to admit it in us, always moving, just past senses, the darkness, what swallows us and we live amongst, what lives amongst us, these grim anchors that Brief sanctity, the sea, cast quite far when you seek in your hats black and your kerchiefs to bury me. Do not weep but once, and a long time then, thereafter eat till your stomach spills over, no more. You'll cry, too full of your eyes to leak. The words will wait. Place me in a plain pine box I have been for years building. It is splinters, not silver. It is filled of hair. 
even the tongues of bells shall still. You who will bear my body along, spirit me into the sick. Do not startle at its lack of weight. How light. Young's poem is written in a samba imagery of an African-American funeral. And it is what we would expect from a poem entitled Eulogy and a poem about death and burial. The waving of handkerchiefs to bid farewell. The copious amounts of food at the repast. There's even a criticism of the elaborateness of funerary practices as Young imagines a simple ceremony with a light corpse that may signify the vapor that is life. The contrast is to what the Apostle Paul writes here in the text that we just read. The Apostle's eulogy is in contrast. The Apostle Paul argues that the triune God's redemption is eternal, both before time and even beyond time. God's redemption is mysterious in its outworking in time. God's redemption is all of grace, and it is full, and it is complete, in that those chosen, adopted, forgiven, now possess a heavenly inheritance in which the Holy Spirit guarantees them. So when considering such a salvation, such a redemption, the believer cannot help but give God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit praise. Praise. So this is the theme. This is the outworking of this passage today. It is that of praise. So as we approach this text in the beginning, in, in the first few verses of the text, verses 1 uh, and 2, we see what is the usual Pauline greeting. He identifies himself, who he is by his name, and he identifies himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. An apostle, one who is sent on a commission. The imagery is that of a fleet of ships leaving one port with a load of goods and going to another port to unload those goods. That's the term, that's the imagery. In the biblical text, in the New Testament context, an apostle was one sent and called specifically by Jesus Christ with power to preach, power to perform signs and wonders. And is that the direct will of God? We know that the 11, the 12 really, had seen the Lord Jesus in the flesh, were commissioned by Jesus. Paul, as he refers to himself in a later, uh, uh, in, in a later epistle, says that he was one born out of time, which meant that he saw the Lord Jesus, but not at the same time in which Peter, James, John, and Matthew, and others saw him. He had a special apostolic calling, receiving his commission on the road to Damascus that we read about in the book of Acts. 
So he's giving his apostolic credentials to verify the, the authenticity of this letter so that the readers of this letter all throughout Asia Minor would know that this letter from an apostle is coming directly from God. This is the inspired word of God. And as he does, he greets those. He particularly states who he's writing to. He greets them, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Ephesus was a major city in the Roman Empire. It was in what is now what we call Turkey. It's in Asia Minor. And most Bible scholars believe that this letter was not just particular to the church of the saints in Ephesus, but would go throughout all of Asia Minor. So in one sense, this was a general epistle, not particular to one church, because if you read the entirety of, of, of the letter, you will note that at the end, Paul dispenses with the usual greetings of different people. He doesn't even mention anyone specifically in the church. So again, this just gives us the idea that this was a general epistle for all of the saints in the region of Asia Minor. And then lastly, in verse 2, again, this is the apostolic greeting. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. Grace is the context of all believers having received this from God. Grace is God's favor toward his own, which is all undeserved. It is unmerited favor. That's what I learned in Sunday school, what grace is about. Grace is unmerited favor. We do nothing to deserve what God gives to us. Somebody may believe that, well, you know, I, I have all of this stuff. I have all these blessings because I'm doing what God wants me to do. But no, grace is something that is unmerited. We can't give to God what he deserves in our own strength. Not even in the strength of the Holy Spirit can we give to God and God give us what we deserve. No, everything that we have from God, from beginning to end, from our first breath to our last breath, is all of grace. And it's all unmerited. It is all undeserved. Peace is one result of this reception of grace. For the believer, this peace refers to the assured state of the soul that rests in God's gracious salvation. Again, it is the assured state of the soul as it is resting in God's gracious salvation. That is why in our confession of faith, we have, we have an article on the assurance of salvation. It is not that we believe that people should be presumptuous, but we believe coming from the gospel itself that when one is a recipient of God's grace and one is a recipient of God's peace, that we have assurance of our salvation. Assurance. Know that you know, that you know, that you know, that you belong to God through Jesus Christ, through faith, by grace. So that's Paul's usual greeting that he greets to the saints. That he gives this greeting to us as well. But as we move on, this passage, verses 3 through 6, we have Paul's eulogizing God's sovereign and mysterious grace. God's eulogizing God's sovereign and mysterious grace. He begins, now the heart of this letter, and from 
verses 3 all the way to the end of the chapter, if you read this in the Greek manuscript, it is all one sentence. All one sentence in the Greek. Now, as a professional professor of history, I get writing from students that they'll unload upon me a paragraph of two to three pages. And I let them know that you've got to break this up. You've lost me in sentence after sentence after sentence with no break. But I can't criticize Paul here for writing this one long sentence because he received this sentence from the Holy Spirit. So who are we to argue about what the Spirit decides to do in writing to us? But it's interesting that this is one long sentence. But notice how he begins. He begins with that phrase, blessed be. Blessed be. This passage does, does nothing for, for us in our English. It is the Greek word eulogetos. Eulogetos, which is transliterated in our English as eulogy. Again, going back to Kevin Young's poem, when we think of eulogy, we think of a sad and somber occasion. We think of death. We think of someone laid out in a casket before us. Mourners come dressed in black. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. And even in the Greek, in the Greco-Roman world, even eulogies were given in that manner. But the word here means to say things that are praiseworthy. To say things that are praiseworthy of someone or to speak well of someone. And it is customary to do so at a funeral, whether it comes from a minister or whether it comes from other people who say good things. Pastor Vernon Johns, who was the pastor of Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama, he preceded Martin Luther King. He was known as a straight shooter. He was a civil rights activist, but he was known as a straight shooter. And he was called in to do, well, he had, he had a funeral to perform at his church. Church was packed with mourners. The person, the man in this case, was laid out before the church. Pastor John gets up before the people and said, so-and-so was no good when he lived, and he was no good when he died, and sat down. <laughs> and obviously, the family was incensed with his brazenness. But we know in our own culture that it's, 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 it's impolite to say bad things about the dead. I don't know what the, the long, the time before the person is buried and then we can start talking honestly about somebody's life. But nevertheless, we don't talk bad about the dead, right? So in that spirit, we're operating closer to what this word means. Again, to, to say things that are praiseworthy of someone or to speak well of someone. So from here to the end of the chapter, Paul praises and speaks well of God and his grace in redemption. And Paul says something else in this, in this, in this, in this verse, in verse 3, that God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Spiritual blessings here, these emanate from God the Father. They proceed from the heavenlies or the heavenly realm. What we have in Christ 
comes from us directly from the abode of God, the heavens. That's where these blessings come from. And so in these next few verses, verses 4, 5, and 6, there are three specific things Paul praises God for in terms of redemption. And there are election, predestination, and adoption. Election, predestination, and adoption. Election here. The Greek word is simply of choosing, making a choice. So we have that Greek word transliterated into English. Again, it means to choose. But in this context, it points to God's timeless and eternal choice of us, those who are believers, of us to be in Christ. It is timeless. It is eternal. And it is more than collective. It is more than collective, but also individual. God and some, I've read years ago, I've read people trying to explain the whole doctrine of election. Some have said that, well, God has chosen a people, but not, a, not, not people in their specificity, not people individually. And I'm reminded by the late Warren Worsby, Bible teacher extraordinaire, who said, try to explain election and you may lose your mind, but try to explain it away, you may lose your soul. So we can't pity-pat around this doctrine because it is important for us to understand what is redemption? We have to understand election here. So again, it, 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 it's, it's God's timeless and eternal choice of us to be in Christ. It is, it is collective, but it's also individual. But note here that God's election is for a purpose. It is for a purpose. We who are the elect are to be what? Holy and blameless. Holy and blameless. God does not choose us to be in Christ so that we can walk an aisle in some, some church context or to lift a hand or to repeat the sinner's prayer and then get baptized if we're adults on the profession of our faith, leave that water and live the same way that we had beforehand. That's not God's purpose. That is not God's purpose. He has chosen us to be what? Holy and blameless. Set apart. Set apart. Set apart. And, 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 and holiness, there are two prongs of holiness. There is positional holiness and there is progressive holiness. By the fact that we have placed faith in Jesus Christ, based upon God's eternal choice of us, we have been set apart positionally. We are, we are not part of the world in that respect. But there's also the progressive nature of holiness in, 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 in which we, we walk in holiness. We live in obedience to God in the power of Jesus Christ. That is progressive holiness. And as we're reminded in Hebrews, both positional holiness and progressive holiness, without holiness, 
what? No man can see God. Yes. You can hold to the doctrine of election and hold to the doctrine of the necessity of holiness because that's God's purpose. That is God's purpose because we've been tripped up over the years. We've been tripped up. Whole doctrine of what is called eternal security or, or, or once saved and always saved. And I do believe in eternal security. And I do believe in once saved, always saved. But I do not believe that one a person who professes Christ can live like the world. That is the pattern of his or her living. I do not believe that rejected because of the word of God. No. God has chosen us to be holy and blameless before him. Now this blamelessness is rooted in Christ. We're not blameless outside of Christ. We are rooted in Christ. And it is Christ who became sin for us that he would present us holy and blameless before the Father. The imagery in Ephesians 5 where Paul teaches husbands, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. You read on in there, and, and, and the work of Christ for the church is to present the church blameless and holy before God through the washing of the word. That, that, that is the meaning here of being blameless. But it's Christ who is doing the work. We're blameless only in Christ. The second thing here is predestination. And predestination simply means to determine beforehand. Those elected have been predestined. That's, 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 that's the clear meaning of the passage. Those elected have been predestined. Again, this is, this, this, this is what God has decreed before there was time. But note, again, this predestination has an end. It has a purpose. We've been predestined to be adopted. Right? Predestined to be adopted. Now, this word adoption refers to the placing of sons. That's the literal meaning of the word. The placing of sons, and not, not daughters, because in the Greco-Roman world, only sons were adopted. But of course, in, in, in this context of, of, of New Testament, it does apply to men, women, boys, and girls alike. We're all adopted. We are all sons and daughters of God. Those of us who have been chosen and predestined, those of us who have believed the word, we are adopted. We are God's sons. We are God's daughters. And here's the strength of that term. When a Roman family adopted a son, and this was a legal transaction, when a Roman family adopted a son, it was so legally binding and so ironclad it was as though that son had been born into the adopted family. All claims to the previous family are null and void. I mean, did we catch that here? Though our sins be many, 
were born in trespasses and sin, though we were shaped in iniquity, though we were on our way to hell, when we believe in Christ and we have been translated from darkness into light, when we've been translated from a son of the devil, a daughter of the devil, to a son or daughter of God the Father, it is though we had never been born into sin. Woo! I feel my helper coming on. That's the type of redemption that we have in Christ. Our adoption, our adoption is grounded in Jesus' active and passive obedience and our faith in Him. Jesus is the eternal Son of God. He became incarnate, being born of the Virgin Mary. He took on human flesh and everything that pertained to humanity without sin. He was God's perfect Son. He was the second Adam who carried out God's law. Also, as God's Son, He was the perfect sacrifice for the sins of His people. He conquered death. He conquered sin. He took the sting and the power from the grave by rising on the third day. He ascended to heaven where he reigns and intercedes on our behalf. Through faith in all of what Christ has done, we become sons and daughters just as God the Father predestined us to become. Glory, hallelujah. hallelujah. And because of all of this, those of us who have been chosen, those of us who have been predestined are to give God the Father the praise and the glory. Now let's look at verses 7 through 10. Here's Paul's eulogy of God's grace and forgiveness. What we possess, that is redemption. We, 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 we possess redemption. And to redeem is to buy back. But we had to raise the question, what have we been bought back from? And we've been bought back from the fall, that, that first sin of Adam that trickles down to us, that we inherited that sin nature from our father. Not Eve, but from our father. We've been bought back from the fall and all of the effects of the fall. And note here in the, in the passage here that, that the means of redemption is the blood of Jesus, which means his death on the cross. His death was an atoning death. He atoned for our sins on that cross. His death was propitiatory, which means that his death was accepted by God the Father. God was satisfied with the sacrifice of his son on our behalf. Satisfied the Father. When Jesus was hanging on that cross, about to give up his, his life on behalf of us, he cried with a loud voice saying, Tetelestai! It is finished. 
What does that word mean, tetelestai? It's a word that comes from the financial world of the Greek and Roman world. It means it is finished, but it means paid in full. Paid in full. I ain't talking about Rakim. I ain't talking about Rakim and Eric B. Paid in full. I'm talking about Jesus saying it is paid in full. My death is the end of death. All those who come to me, you don't have to worry about dying and going to hell because your ticket has been stamped. Your debt has been paid and you're on your way to a mansion that I will build in the heavenlies. Paid in full. And because of that death, the results are the forgiveness of our sins. And if Christ, if he said paid in full, and that death results in the forgiveness of sin, when we come to Jesus as ministers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we declare that your sins are forgiven. That's declarative. Well, wait a minute. Um, you know, I, I, I did some really despicable things in my past. In fact, I was doing it last night. Your sins are forgiven. Oh, wait, 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 wait. You know, you know, I, 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 I spent some time behind bars. You know, I, 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 I got caught up in some things. And you trying to tell me that now Jesus says those things are forgiven? Yes. Your sins are forgiven. But, but what, if, what if I mess up tomorrow? Your sins are forgiven. What if I mess up next week? Your sins are forgiven. Christ has not left one sin left undone. I can't stand up here and preach good news to say that, oh yeah, you might trip up and you fall away and you, that's it. What kind of salvation is that? That's an undone salvation. We should stop singing Jesus paid it all because he ain't paid it all. We sing Jesus paid it all, right? Right, 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 Micah? He ain't paid it all then. If we have the power to undo what Christ has done, he has not paid it all. And we should stop singing that. But I'm glad that he has paid it all. And all to him I owe. Sin has brought a crimson stain, but his blood washes me as white as snow. Praise God for the cross. Let me go in and wrap this thing up. Because I'm feeling good. I, 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 I feel like shouting right now. In verses 11 through 14, and we're we, we going to wrap this up. Heirs, we are heirs and sealed by the Spirit. Hallelujah. I mean, let, let, let me back up. Let me back up. Let me back up. I'm sorry. Let me back up. Because Paul says that all this stuff we've been talking about, the nature of Christ's death on the cross, it has been revealed to us. It, 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 Paul used the word mystery, the mystery of his will. Mystery means that which was hidden that is now revealed. And so, how, how is this mystery revealed to us? How is it revealed to the world? It is revealed through the proclamation of the gospel. 
And brothers and sisters, that's why it is important for us to get the gospel right. We have to get the gospel right. Why? Because souls are on the line. Souls are on the line. And we preach a gospel of grace through faith. It is a gospel of grace. Undeserved merit. Who has done all the work? Uh, yeah, who has done all the work? God the Father has chosen. Jesus Christ is, is the one who has accomplished it. And the Holy Spirit, and we're about to get to that right now, is the one who seals it and guarantees us. Where does that leave us? It only leaves us to receive what is revealed to us. And even then, this Holy Spirit opens our eyes to see our sins, to see our need, and we cry out in faith. That's where we are. That is the gospel of grace and faith. So let's, let's, let's look at the last few verses here. Again, heirs and sealed by the Spirit. All believers possess an inheritance. It is yours. And, and, and this inheritance refers to a heavenly inheritance, which means eternal life. And this is what God's predestinating plan culminates in. Election and predestination are in the, are in the past, even before time. He made that choice and, 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 and placed you in that plan. And where does it end? It ends beyond time. It ends in heaven. It ends with you praising God forever and ever in heaven. But it's all through faith. It's all through faith in Jesus as revealed in the gospel. In the capstone here of this, of this passage is that Paul may be anticipating, or the Spirit anticipating, we say, well, wait, are we going to make it? This is too good to be true. No. What? Yes. But, but do, I, do I need something to assure me of this? Paul says, yes. Well, what, what is it? It's a seal. A seal. A seal. The Holy Spirit has sealed us who are believers. We are sealed. What does that mean in the original context? It means that it has been stamped. We are stamped for security. It is an impression. Like the old-time seal where you get a little thing and it's wax and you put it on an envelope and it's sealed and nobody can break that, that, that bond. Nobody can break that seal. That's what the sealing of the Spirit is. Now, obviously, somebody could see a seal and rip it open because we get things that are sealed and rip it open, right? And it's open. But can you rip open a seal that's been done by the Almighty Holy Spirit? And the answer is no. We are sealed. But not only that, Paul says that the Spirit is our guarantor. He is the guarantee and that word, again, coming from the, the financial word, it means an earnest deposit. We have this in the, in the real estate world today. You want to buy a house? What do you got to put on that house before you get that house? You got to put down a deposit. Earnest money. That is your promise 
to pay off the balance in time. Well, with the Spirit and in God's plan of salvation, all of us who have believed in the gospel, we have the Holy Spirit as our guarantor. He has been deposited in our lives to pledge. This is a pledge from God saying, you will make it to the end. Yes, you will live holy. You will be blameless in my sight. But we're going to make it. We're going to make it to the end. So here's the deal. The triune God has, has planned salvation from beginning to end. Those the Father has chosen will believe. Those who believe all will be adopted. Those adopted will be forgiven of their sins. Those forgiven of their sins possess an internal, eternal inheritance. Those who are heirs are sealed by the Holy Spirit himself. And those sealed by the Spirit will see the heavenly kingdom. And all of this is because of the Son who shed his blood for these. So no wonder Paul is full of praise. I'm full of praise right now. How about you? If you're a believer, this is the framework of your salvation. You should praise the Lord for choosing you. You should praise the Lord for adopting you. You should praise the Lord for forgiving you. You should praise the Lord for dying for you. You should praise the Lord for giving you his spirit. You should praise the Lord that heaven is yours. It is yours right now. It is yours. We are not citizens of this world, but our citizenship is in heaven right now. Right now. So we should live like it, right? That's what Peter talks about. How, how, and we, we received all these, these good things from God, these blessings. He talks about in 1 Peter chapter 1. Then how shall we live? We've been made divine partakers. How shall we live? We live pray, lives full of praise but we also live lives of holiness, holiness, holiness. And can we reduce holiness real quick? Holiness, to reduce it real quick, is to love God with our minds, our souls, our spirits, and to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. That's holiness. We're not trying to make it, we're not trying to make it so complicated. It's holiness. It's holy. That's holiness. When you love God, you're going to keep his commandments. As Jesus said, if you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. How do we know that we are followers of Jesus Christ? It is by what? Your love toward one another. How do you know that you love, Je how do you love? You love Jesus Christ because you have love for the brethren. That's what John says in his first letter. So the entirety of, of, our, of our scriptures from Old Testament to the gospels, to the epistles, all reflect love of God marks us as holy, and loving our neighbors marks us as holy. That's what we've been chosen for. That's, that's God's predestining plan. That's why we've been adopted, is to do those things. Praise the Lord, for He is good, and He is good all the time. Let us pray.
Lord God, thank you for the gospel. It is a wonder to our souls. Those of us who are undeserving, we're all undeserving of the grace that you have given. We thank you, Lord, for choosing us and working all things out. Every crack, every quiver, every turn in our lives, Lord, you designed it for our salvation. We've been in the right place at the right time at your divine command. We heard the gospel just at the right time. The Spirit gave us new birth so that we can hear the gospel with fresh ears and, and open our eyes, Lord. All of that is part of your plan. We don't know how you worked it all out, but we thank you, Lord, that you worked it out. And you're still working it out. So, Lord, based upon this word, help us to live lives that are fruitful and abundant according to the grace that you lavished upon us in abundance. Help us to live out. Help us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And we work it out, Lord, by loving you and loving our neighbor. Impress that upon our hearts even now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.